Hello and welcome to Ascend Higher, the podcast of True Freedom Trust. We're a UK-based charity that holds to the historic Christian understanding of what the Bible teaches about sex and relationships. We provide teaching, pastoral support and conferences, as well as local support groups. Each quarter we produce a magazine called Ascend, with a range of articles, reviews and personal stories, all dealing with the issues about what it's like to be a Christian, attracted to others of the same sex. You can sign up to receive your free copy of Ascend by visiting our website, truefreedomtrust.co.uk. For the winter edition of Ascend, I spoke with Jeanette about her ideas for a book she's writing on the theme of being betrothed to Jesus. Jeanette has been researching the ancient Jewish marriage ceremony, and in particular the time of betrothal. During this time, the betrothed woman would wait as she prepared herself for marriage to her beloved. In our conversation, Jeanette drew out a lot of parallels between that time of betrothal and how we as Christians are waiting for the great marriage in heaven to Jesus the Bridegroom. These practical insights encourage us to look ahead more eagerly to the day when we, the Church, will be fully united with Jesus. Let's listen in. So Jeanette, thanks for your time today. I understand you're writing a new book about the idea of how Christians are betrothed to Jesus. I wonder if you could explain a bit about what led you to write this book and maybe a bit of detail of what you plan to cover in it. Yes, um, about two years ago I was preparing a, uh, a teaching for a church up in Leicester on singleness and um, I thought oh yes I'll bring in that sense of being feeling wedded to Jesus um, which happened back at my uh, baptism by immersion some 35 years earlier and and uh, in those days you wore really long heavy heavy white gowns so it really gave that impression uh, for me anyway of of being married um and as I was preparing it I just sensed the Lord saying betrothed not married betrothed and I thought how odd after 35 years all of a sudden um what I thought was now being altered slightly. And the only thing I ever knew about betrothed really was um, uh, the Joseph and Mary story. The, the you know, how um, Mary is pregnant and, uh, and it says how Joseph was betrothed to her and thought about divorcing her quietly. So that's the only element of betrothal that I knew. So I figured, well, it's formal um but knew nothing else so so from that i started uh looking into what betrothal actually meant um was it only kind of like engagement that we have or was it something significantly more so i started looking into the ancient jewish marriage ceremony um and the different stages that that used to happen um now it's all kind of curtailed into into one one service as it were but but this was this, this was quite a drawn out period and 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 I started looking and and what was so really incredible was that it is the salvation story 
um, the whole the whole process, um, the the fact that the father um, and his son choose the bride, or the father chooses who who he deems to be suitable for his son, and you go through this whole process, and um, uh, and even down to the certain. Uh, words that are used, um, the ketubah, the mikvah, the moaha, uh, and all of that. Um, and you just see this tremendous salvation story. And I was thinking, well, wh- where, what's relevant for me then in all of this? And of course, the fact that I am not married to but I am betrothed. The first, the formal part, the first formal part has been done. And then what happens in the Jewish, ancient Jewish ceremony is that once all that formality is done, the son goes back to the father's house to prepare what's known as a chuppah, almost an extra room, a love nest for him and his bride meanwhile the the betrothed uh stays with her parents although now she is owned and identified with the husband but she stays where she is it's almost as though nothing's happened um and she is veiled in other so that when she goes out she's seen as being set apart from unavailable uh and when the when the bridegroom leaves he he gives her gifts and these gifts are to be spent on her preparation for when she goes to the room built by her groom attached to the father's house so the whole thing just really excited me and I thought well where am I and I thought I have been given gifts to prepare myself for the great banquet the time of of seeing Jesus face to face of the wedding feast of the then everlasting uh life with the father and the son and um, so these gifts are, are not to be just saved up because they're not required when the formal wedding is done, the consummation of the marriage. They're now. So so in those times, it was buying linen uh, make, so you could make that room theirs, putting their flavor on it as it were. So the gifts that we are given as believers are to be spent on and in preparation for what is to come. That's fascinating. And it's somewhat different from our sort of experience today that we see in Western society, isn't it? Where it's kind of maybe just inviting God to bless our mutual romantic attraction. It's kind of I mean, some of those words you were using, like, you know, chosen and owned, I mean, people might sort of reel a little bit from them today. You know, does that sound a bit disempowering for the for the bride? But I can definitely 
see the echoes that it has of the sort of the the, the you know the, the salvation story that comes in the bible yes that stepping over out of one family or out of one kingdom the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and mm. although we are still still left as it were in the kingdom of darkness in in as much as we are still walking this earth we are god's kingdom now on earth we we live with a different identity we are we take the name of of our new identity and that's what they did in the ancient time so although so she no longer belonged to the fam the birth family she belonged to the new family um and and everyone knew that and that, that was that then that was at the time of the betrothal that wasn't actually that wasn't on the wedding day that had already no. that that shift in where her belonging was had already no. happened it it happened mm. yeah at the signing of the because the sun would come in preparation to the to the proposed bride to the family with a formal document the ketubah and it was his promises to her this is what i offer as your groom as your husband these are my promises uh, this is my covenant um and if they were acceptable to her uh she would then sign the ketubah Okay. She had the choice. It was not an arranged marriage in as much as the bride had no choice. She had a choice. Um, and I think that's that that's critical to to remember that this was not a forced marriage. Um, that she could say no. Uh, and then and then the bride price was paid for so the it was money or property given to the father of the bride um to make up for his loss basically as as the daughter was going to live elsewhere he was losing her service her everything so the bride price how much it was was dependent on how much the groom held this woman in value. So, um, so when you think of the price that Christ paid, which was his own blood for us, his laid down his life, that's the value he places on us as his chosen. And um, so it's not about how value I think I am, how valued it's what value he has placed on me. This is what he was prepared to do in order to make me his bride. And that that price was paid at the time of when the ketubah was signed. Is that right? Or it was already paid. For, it was already paid. Of course yeah. it, well, he came with the money. Hmm. or came with the property rights hmm. or the camels or or hmm. whatever it was going to be so he had already decided he'd already paid he'd already put together whatever it was going to be so of course hmm. we know that 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 uh you know before the beginning of creation we were chosen 
<laughs> and and Christ, this was always going to be the plan from Genesis three. God speaks that out mm. to Satan that you will be crushed. You know, um, this is my redemptive work happening even before Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. God was declaring it to Satan. You know, you do not have the last word here. Um, so, yes, Christ, Christ has paid the price and comes to us and goes, here are my promises. This is what I've done. Will you accept me? Yeah, that's interesting, and um, and the and the the arrangement is sealed, you know, uh, from the start of the betrothal. It's not, I mean, it can, in contrast to sort of today's engagement process, where okay, maybe someone shells out for the engagement ring, but essentially at any point either party can back out, and and the whole wedding can be off. It sounds like in those days, actually, it was all yeah. secure. And the bride knew that that you know, there was no going back from this. She'd been chosen, paid for, selected. She was safe, set apart. Quite yeah. different. What is interesting is that um, so between and they drink a cup of wine as to seal it. That's in a way the I do. Oh. And um, what's interesting it. The, the betrothal period was about a year to 18 months. And it was up to the father to determine when the room was ready. And then he would send his son to go and collect his bride. And um, what's very interesting, I mean, it just blows my mind. For the most part, the groom would come with his mates at night and um, to come and collect the bridegroom, uh, the bride, and it would be at night. And uh, there would be the knocking on the door. What I find interesting is that at that stage, the bride could then decide no. Because she's had a year, 18 months, who knows who could have turned her eyes in that time? You know, has she remained faithful? Has she been focused on what is to come rather than what is now? Is she still set apart in her heart, her mind, her strength? Is is what is to come her her driver, as it were, rather than what is? And um, she can actually turn him down again at that point which I find well I'm not um, theologically trained enough to to really to to fully separate that at the moment but I think of the virgins you know the parable of the virgins the wise and the foolish you know the wise are the ones who've continually prepared for the the groom's coming the um, and therefore there's oil in the lamp whereas the foolish ones have done maybe at the door but they haven't actually um kept those lamps full 
with oil. They haven't, the lamps are empty. There's, there's not that preparation, that going on, preparing oneself for what is to come. And um, I think that's quite a sombre thought, really. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it ties in with our sort of walk of salvation. The, it sounds like the Father chooses us, but it's up. It's, but it's also up to us to to hold on to our to our faith. I mean, you know, I was reading from Hebrews three this morning, and it says, you know, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And so it's kind of that that kind of active waiting that you that you talk about with the bride if she just lets her affections wander then maybe she won't want this bridegroom at the end because she's allowed herself to be distracted and you know well he's not you know the kind of the troubles and cares of this world have sort of taken her over or her affections have gone elsewhere the father the bridegroom is ready but she may she may have wandered so it's it's up to us to do that to do that waiting very actively isn't it it is because um, it's a big deal to give up all that you've known for a person who you don't really know, you know, in, that, in as much as he has chosen you. But what do you know about him? Mm. <laughs> you know, and, and that, that time of betrothal is a time of getting to know him through the gifts that he sends, through love notes that he sends, through preparation, through the fact that he's generous, he's keeping his promises to date. What do you hear about him? What do you know about him? And that's why I've been really looking at the Song of Songs so much, because, you know, towards the end, when um, when she can't find her her room and and the the friends say well what is he like you know and um it's no good saying well he's five foot ten swarthy you know that that would cover you know most of uh, the men there um and uh let me just read yeah song of songs five nine and it says the, the the friends say how is your beloved better than others And she says, he's radiant, he's ruddy, he's outstanding, his hair's wavy, his eyes are like doves, his uh, cheeks are like beds of spice, his lips. And she goes on, and this is a woman who knows her man. (laughs) You know, she can describe every part of him fully. And then at the end, um, I haven't got it written down, but she said, this is my friend. This is the one I love. Or it's the other way around. I can't remember. I think it's the other way around. But in other words, she does this long passage of describing him in detail. And then she says, this is the one. And I feel it's behoven to us when asked, how is your beloved better than others it's behoven to us to say this is why this is why I walk here on earth veiled as it were to the world set apart from 
um, keeping my eyes on Christ, keeping my mind on Christ, keeping my heart towards what is to come. Um, and that's that's a driver, that's a motivator, that, that enables, that's strengthening, that's encouraging. You know, this world is not it. So um, absolutely, yeah. And, and it sounds like she, she knows the answer to that question in depth because she's yes. single-minded. She's, she's, uh, uh, she's fixed her eyes upon her lover. She knows him intimately. So she's completely ready for that question. And yeah. it reveals her heart. It reveals that her her mind is is not distracted elsewhere it's it's entirely on him and that's yeah. that's a sort of challenge for us isn't it yes El- elsewhere or towards the end you know the the groom says let me hear your voice and and she says i am my beloved's and you are mine you know it's like she's the one able to voice the true relationship she's learned from from just being a Shulamite woman to mm-hmm. being absolutely she sees herself as he sees her and she longs for the intimate relationship and indeed enjoys it um, as much as he does uh, and surely that's what we want we we want to pursue that intimacy so that that you know we can forsake all others so it's good to think about these things and we're, and, we're, and as we kind of talk about them we kind of get excited and want to mm. know jesus more closely but uh, i was doing some teaching recently from deuteronomy 11 and uh, moses um is mindful that God's people are so good at forgetting about him. And, you know, we get distracted and we get wrapped up in the things of this world. And Moses is very practical. And he says, you know, tie God's words on your hands, write them in your door frames, all of those things. Um, so I know that I think you wear a, a ring to remind you of how you're part of the yeah. bride of Christ. I'd, I just wonder if you could tell, tell me a little bit about what gave you that idea and how it helps you to kind of be, to keep your mind um, looking to Jesus? Well, I bought this the day after I um, was baptised 35 years ago because it was so significant, even though, gosh, I did it all in ignorance, quite frankly, because I'd hardly been a Christian for any length of time when I was baptised. But it just was so significant being in that white dress to have baptism by full immersion, to come up, to make a public declaration of of an internal commitment. Um, But I got the ring then, so I've worn it for 35 years. Um, And as I've matured in Christ and certainly learned more about this betrothal and, and everything, it obviously has become even more significant. You know, it's almost like they were veiled, you know, the, the, the bride after the first uh, section of, of the ceremony, she then was veiled when she went outside, which showed that she had 
she was committed to, she was taken, she belonged elsewhere, she was not available. And, you know, if you watch any TV programme or something and someone's about to commit adultery, they take their wedding ring off in the car and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever. And And I guess an engagement ring now is that sense of, yes, look, I'm engaged, I belong to another. Um, and this reminds the reminds me because of course life isn't this glorious skip along um, time you know where we float on gossamer wings and nothing's a problem because hey I love Jesus and Jesus loves me it's like we do encounter all sorts of things so it, it reminds me that I belong to another. And why would I want to hurt the one I love? Hmm. That's really interesting. And would you say kind of on a a typical day, some of those thoughts go through your head? I don't know if you take your ring off at night, but kind of, I mean, does familiarity mean that you kind of just think occasionally those thoughts or does the ring being on your finger, does it just help to keep reminding you of to whom you are betrothed? I think, no, I don't take it off. It it stays on all the time. Um, I think there's a point in Song of Songs where um, the lover, he knocks on her door and she says, oh, I've just got into bed. I've just washed my feet. And she says something like, must I go to the door? Must I get out of my comfort zone and go and welcome him in? And of course, so she has that. And then she thinks, no, come on, get a grip. Mm. So she goes to the door and he's gone. She's lost that moment of intimacy because she wanted comfort. It's like, oh, I've, I've got to, I mean... I know that feeling. <laughs> it's like, oh, must I really? Um, and yes, I have those times uh, and um, where I think, you know, our relationship isn't as intimate as it ought to be um, and, and what's happened. And it's because I've, I've let other th- it's not that I've fallen out of love uh, my faith is still there all of that uh, my commitment's there but the intimacy's gone and I think people get that in marriage you know it's like it is a bit uh, it's undulating and often the stressors in life that means that you work, pass like ships in the night for periods of time and realize that you're not fully connected here even though you haven't fallen out <laughs> and and it requires that effort to get back into the two are one um, as opposed to we happen to be living under the same house. Um, and, and I, I find that at times, absolutely. Um, I can listen to cricket um, from 11 till seven and it's like, wow, I listen to the Lord from eleven till seven on Test Match. That would be uh, that would be something else. 
<laughs> you know, so it is. It's getting back to priorities, isn't it? And and recognizing, have I washed my feet and am I in bed? And do I really want to open the door? Because it's one bit of effort. So yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, no, that's a helpful, helpful kind of image. I just wondered what you thought about um what does it actually mean to be married, you know, betrothed to Jesus and what what would it mean for us as a church to be married? I mean, the Bible is very clear, you know, that marriage in this life is between one man and one woman. And what that looks like in this life is, you know, two people having physical intimacy, making children, sharing their lives together, doing the laundry, buying the, the you know, food. And, and then there's this picture in Revelation and pointed to in Ephesians 5 of, of this of this great wedding between the lamb and his bride, the church. And I wonder for many of us, if that just feels too strange and abstract and what does it, you know, do you have any thoughts on what it actually means for us as a church to be getting ready to be married to Jesus? Well, we, you know, you go back to the churches and the building, we're all stones within that, Upright. So, so to me, as individuals, we have this sense of being betrothed, and and because a church is made up of the ecclesia, the the group of believers, then individually and corporately, we have that sense of preparing ourselves, isn't it? Making preparation for what is to come, and. Um, the chances are probably we haven't fully grasped that as a church, that we are actually God's ex- kingdom on earth and our pursuit is elsewhere. You know, when Abraham is told to leave Ur of the Chaldeans um, and it goes because he sees a country, he goes because he sees a country beyond and um, and that's, I, I, you know, as a as a church, that is what we're doing. We are, we have been given gifts to prepare ourselves for this great wedding feast. Now, it's interesting about the cups of wine. Um, you know, at, for the betrothal for that part, uh, um, the the father and son bring the wine and the cups. Okay, and that is the drinking of I do. When, when the next part, um, after the betrothal period, when, when the groom comes back for his bride and they all head off to the father's house, whoopee, whoopee, and everything like that, then you have another ceremony under the chuppah, um, which, if you remember in Jewish weddings, is that canopy the covering, the canopy over, and um, and wine is drunk there again, just prior to the consummation. And I find it quite interesting when Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room, I will not drink of this wine again until I come with my kingdom. That That's the final part of the wedding ceremony before the consummation before the party lets rip you know and um and so you have that cup of wine there again so Jesus is so 
declaring himself as the groom. It's like, I will not drink again until the wedding, the coming together, um, it, it happens. And then we drink and then we consummate this thing. So, yeah, I, you know, we can get so tied down, I guess, as a church, we just need to elevate life as it were what is our purpose what's our aim in all of this and then how do we bring kingdom out because it's easy for me to say I'm not in church leadership I don't have to I don't have to find the rent for the building or the electricity or the water or or any of that but but I think if we can stand back and and see the bigger view you know we're seated in the heavenlies with Jesus so therefore, we are also not only here, but we're looking down on. So we're seeing something of what God sees, as well as being part of the, the minutiae that we are here in, in the whole picture. Um, and our finite minds are just going to, you know, bubble over with all that. But I, But I think... It's the drawing back, so it's not getting stuck in the I'm lonely, I'm depressed, I'm everything, and we experience all of that. But it's actually journeying through it as opposed to remaining in it. It's like, yes, this is part of my my overall, but it's not forever. This is not it. It's just part of the journeying. Mm, no that's helpful and i guess that the bible has clues doesn't it about what how they, what was this going to look like but it doesn't give us all the answers it's a it's kind of it gives us some pointers but like paul in ephesians 5 and obviously his theological understanding was very deep but even he says you know when talking about the christ in the church this is a profound mystery we have some pointers but actually we see through a glass darkly now, but then we will see clearly and we can get excited about things now that we don't fully comprehend, can't we? We can, we know enough about God, enough about Jesus that we know, we know that they've got good things in store for us and that that feast is somewhere that we want to be. And therefore let's get excited and let's get ready. Yeah, we get excited because we believe what they're saying, because we trust their character. So all the while, that, that those gifts that, that um, the groom gave to his beloved is to prepare herself, to buy things, to ready herself for when he returns. And that's what we must do too. It's He does not want us giving the gifts that he gave us back to him at the banquet oh by the way here's the gifts you gave me you know I love it our friend Ed when he talks about and he's written in his book um and I love it the the illustration of going to the movies you know and he says how how you can go to watch a film and and um before the before the film they'll show trailers of what's going to come to the cinema to entice you, obviously, to part with your £15 or whatever and come back again. Um, and 
he very much makes out that that marriage, as it were, in this world is a bit like the trailer. It's pointing to a much bigger event. And I love it when he concludes the story and he says, who comes out from seeing the film saying, I wish I'd seen the trailer? You know, and we've got to know whether we see the trailer or not, there is the big picture. We are going to be part of a much bigger event than that which we're experiencing now. And that should, you know, God's Holy Spirit is in us. And it says to will and to act according to his purposes. I get excited in my spirit about what is to come um, and am I preparing myself well to meet my groom, the one who who deemed me valuable enough to shed his own blood for, to die for, to become sin that I might become the righteousness of Christ. That is one heck of a bride price. Yeah. And and like you say, it's about the it's about the character of the person handing us the invite. I mean, some party invites have got like details of all the things, all the things that are going to be featured at the event. Oh, there'll be a bouncy castle and there'll be a three course meal. And, and you kind of evaluate it on the basis of what's going to be there. Well, this invite that comes... castle I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> but but God's invite is more like here is Jesus and this is what he's going to be like. This is who he's like. And come come because of him and and of course once we get there i'm sure it will be an amazing party but it's it's about him isn't it it's about wanting to be with him and getting excited about who he is and what he's done for us we see him face to face as he really is how mind-blowing is that you know who can possibly match that in in real life you know, when I say real life, I mean skin and flesh life now. You know, I, I'm still single. Um, and so therefore I have relinquished, um, unless God chooses to do something dramatic in my 60s. Um, and he does do dramatic things. So who knows? But um, I'm not hanging out for, for marriage now. Um, but certainly, you know, there have been years in the past where it's been terribly hard, terribly hard when when your peers start getting married, they start having children, which takes them on a whole new friendship realm and um, pecking order um, and all of that. I, I have to say to anyone who's having difficulty there, it gets better because the children get off their hands and they actually, your friends start being freer again <laughs> in their 60s because they don't have the commitments that they had. So um, that is good news. Uh, but it's, it's not an easy shout. And, and you do live with loss. You do live without. And, and that will get you down unless you have a very good reason to keep going 
And um, that reason is increased intimacy with the Lord. Knowing that it will only get better. Um, that preparation of becoming more Christ-like then actually introduces you to a whole new friendship group of being like-minded in Christ. So it's not whether you have, a, so it's not job or children or marital status that is the main factor, it's spiritual unity. That's church family. What else would bring the groups of people we have together <laughs> um, with nothing else at times in common other than the love of Christ, um, the same vision, the same hope, the unity of the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's really worth exploring. So what you're talking about is not just about the hope that we have in the life to come, but actually as we cultivate our love for Jesus, we we have something that is deeply unifying in friendship in this life yeah. with other Christians, however different in every other way they might be from us. If we have, if we truly love Jesus and, and, and work on that and have our minds fixed on him, actually we draw close to fellow believers of all ages and shapes and sizes. Yeah. And, and outlooks and, um, you know, I think of uh, some of my non-Christian friends and, and family, and their friends are very much the same socioeconomic um, or career or whatever. They're, they're, they're very, they're very same in many respects. Um, but our baseline is Christ the ultimate foundation, which gives us then this, this, this freedom, as it were, to be who we are, because we're all standing on a very, very firm foundation. We're all unified there. Therefore, we can be quite, quite different, quite quirky um, elsewhere. We, we don't need the same socioeconomic or the same career or supporting the same football team or whatever binds us together. We are bound by the most fundamental um, person, most trustworthy person on earth. So there's a unity there. We have to prove nothing to one another because we are in Christ. Christ in us so we have an amazing affinity before we've even started so to explore that and build on that is life enhancing that's really interesting and I think you've maybe partly answered my next question um which is this I wonder if some people might say you know Jeanette that's all very nice you know thinking ahead to the life to come but I need a real flesh and blood person in this life to keep me company and to you know, listen to my woes at the end of a hard day. I mean, what would you say to someone like that? I totally get it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And um, and I wouldn't minimise that for a second. And I think, you know, we've all just been through 2020 of no touch. And um, 
or very limited touch and single people, you know, like me, I live alone, I work alone. Um, I know one person who had five touches in 2020, dentist, chiropractor, doctor, and I can't remember the other two, but that was it. It was just on a professional level, no one. She was not touched in any shape or form other than that. So absolutely, we know there's touch deficit. There are touch needs, that there's everything like that. So how do we then answer those needs as best we can? Because I think there'll always be a loss, a sense of loss, a loss of that, that intimate you know, um, uh, marriage, the two become one in every sense of the word, spiritually, emotionally. we do not have that as single people. So therefore, how in a godly way do I meet as much of that as I can, knowing there will always be a hole? Because isn't it C.S. Lewis who says we're not born for this world? <laughs> you know, th- this is not our intended um existence as it were we were born for something more than so there will always be and even in the best of marriages i am sure there is that sense of i need more there should be more and it's like you're absolutely right no no earthly marriage was ever designed to fulfill all needs and hopes and wants and touches and and everything so we'll always live out of this this parcel of loss and without and I think we need to embrace that at at, at whatever level that is it's like I will have this withoutness until I see Jesus face to face however how can I minimize how can I meet some of this withoutness um and uh i think you know there uh what, what when people when the church says they're family friendly what on earth does that mean you know does it mean that they cater for the children on a sunday morning or does it fulfill jesus saying who is my mother my brother my sister those who do the will of god So without minimising nuclear family, Jesus sets out the importance of a believer's family of believers. Um, And and that's where we can, as a church congregation, um, start meeting some of those needs um, to have good small groups. No. I, I, you know, I come home and sometimes I think I I really need to talk this out, but I have no one to talk it out on the immediate level. But I do have a small, small group of people that I can confide in, but it may not be the there and now. It may have to be a day later or 18 hours later or whatever so yeah I don't have that oh let me tell you about today or likewise celebrating something fab 
know, it's like there's not an awful lot of fun blowing a party, uh, a party, uh, whatever they're called, um, by yourself. I mean, I've always found pets helpful when I've had pets. Um, you know, dogs just think you're awesome, whatever. So that, that's always good. Cats don't do that so much. So if you've got a, a poor sense of self, I wouldn't get a cat. <laughs> They're not going to affirm you terribly. But um, so I've always had pets helpful for touch as well. Um, I wish I'd learned about young children younger um, because they just play and touch and hug and and all of that in a very healthy way. So there's lots of touch needs that get met there with with little children and everything so it's a question of knowing that you're going to have a nucleus of without and then what can I do to accommodate that as best as possible within within a frame that's so helpful thank you for your wisdom there Jeanette I have one final question for you and I'm just putting this question to you as a man listening to you and you've been talking a bit about you know the bride of Christ Mm. and I wonder if some men you know, listening to this or reading what we've been talking about might might sort of be thinking, I'm not sure I really want to be the bride of Christ. You know, that sounds a bit weird. So I, I wondered if you had anything you might say to your brothers in Christ in particular that might reassure them on that. Well, we women have to be sons. You know, we're called sons because we get the inheritance. And um, so, you know, being a bride, don't limit it to this world. No one's asking you to don on a white frock, you know, and and all of that. Um, but but what you know, Ephesians five, you mentioned, and everything, how husbands are to treat their wives as Christ, you know, loves the church then as you treat your wife, learn how to be treated by Jesus, that, that you are cared for, that you are, um, you are bought at a great price, that you respond to the leading of Christ, that there's submission, there's yielding, there's, there's mutuality, there's, you know, m- yeah, learn to be the bride of Christ is to be chosen. And I don't think, you know, I think we would we would fail ourselves. If I just thought I'm a son, well, I had enough trouble with gender identity as a youngster. I really, you know, accepted myself as woman. The thought that I now have to go back to to what came naturally is is rather rather odd. But actually, the whole thing of sonship, you know, explore sonship through the Bible, and it's like I'm very happy to be a son in that respect. If you look at how God sees Israel as his bride, his chosen, his wife. And everything like that, you see how he 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 uses that example to show relationship, commitment, covenant, trust, 
and all of that. So so I think let your thoughts expand more than the the tight framework that we we think of bride here that's really helpful Jeanette and it's maybe a a bit of a challenge to I mean I wouldn't count myself like this but like more alpha male hyper masculine men who kind of just see masculinity in a very particular way and actually you're saying yes as men we are you know called to to live out, out live out live out our gender in a certain way but also like Jesus you know, he could be sort of strong and forceful and a leader, but he could also be very much submissive to the father. And he had some qualities which maybe we would see as more feminine. And he had the sort of he had both, didn't he? The best of both in many ways. Yeah, I, I would say the alpha males, those that you're describing, are coming from a place of brokenness. So I would encourage them, just like passive men are coming from a place of brokenness. Um it's like can I embrace the fullness of what it is to be made in the image of God? You know, that's what we're talking about here. Um, The fact that Jesus had so many female friends, that made him very safe. Whereas a lot of alpha men are not, do not um, promote a sense of safe safety within women at all. Um, so I think that's worth looking at that, that women, you know, no woman rejected Jesus, um, even in that society. So, so he offered something very rounded here. Yeah. Yeah. Jeanette, thank you very much for all those thoughts. Lots of, um, lots of food for thought and I wish you well as you, craft these into a book which we're very much looking forward to reading and um i hope that hope that goes well over the coming months thank you very much thank you well my thanks go to Jeanette for sharing her insights about being betrothed to christ i hope you found it interesting and encouraging feel free to get in touch with us here at true freedom trust if you'd like to talk through any of the issues raised you've been listening to the ascend higher podcast For more information and resources, do head to our website at truefreedomtrust.co.uk or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks for listening and bye for now.